Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is your host, Sabrina Monarch. And this episode is one of the, it is the first episode I'm releasing since the launch. And it's been really amazing to hear from you over email and Instagram about what you feel about the show. It's really, really wonderful to receive that. There's something that I think is pretty vulnerable about sharing my voice on the internet. You know, I've been writing on the internet for some time, but to talk and to share my story, it's more vulnerable, but it's triggered more connection just from hearing from you guys. And that's really exciting to me. Also, since I launched this podcast, I also announced the next course dates for a future evolutionary astrology intensive I'm teaching. It'll be the fourth run of this course. And that's happening starting June 9th, and it will go till August 25th. And it will meet on Sunday mornings, Pacific time online and a few Wednesdays in August as well. And it will be a 45-hour intensive. And really the design of this course is to empower you to have your own personal astrology practice. So what I mean by that is that you can understand the archetypes, you know, have a felt sense of connection to them so that when you hear a phrase like Mars in Gemini, or Venus in Pisces in the 10th house, that you'll be able to form interpretations and have feelings inside of yourself about what those things mean, that you don't have to Google search everything or read things in books. Though, of course, you may always be someone who researches astrology because that is a way to gain more knowledge. You'll have the ability to think astrologically, you'll be able to read charts, and you'll be able to use astrology as a personal development practice. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go to my website, monarchastrology.com, and click on the tab that says Intro to Evolutionary Astrology Intensive, and you can read more about the course there, including testimonials, and that's where you can enroll. This interview is with Rebecca Farrar. She is an astrologer who also resides in the Bay Area, and I got to meet up with her in her beautiful apartment in San Francisco. She's an archetypal astrologer. She studied astrology at the California Institute of Integral Studies, um, where she got her master's in philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness, also known as the PCC program. And her website, which is something that I was checking out a lot before I had this conversation with her, has a lot of awesome information. She has some academic essays from her time in grad school that I really enjoyed reading. I think Rebecca is very thoughtful, and I love her knowledge of etymology. There's something um, like Geminian about her, though she is a Taurus. And Gemini in the sense that she is a wordsmith, and I feel like she's also very consciously aware of the meanings, the etymology in words. So we talked about that in some places in this podcast. We recorded this around the time of Chiron moving into Aries, and it was also a few days before a Venus-Saturn conjunction in Capricorn. So this was in late February. We talked about the Sun-Uranus complex, so that is related to people who are born with the Sun and Uranus in aspect at their birth. So we explain a little bit of what that means. So if you're into astrology, that may be 
you know, you already know what I'm talking about. If astrology is more new to you, it's about when you have the sun and Uranus at a geometric angle that is significant in your natal chart at the moment of your birth. But perhaps whether or not you know if you have that in your chart, though I would recommend looking it up on astro.com, it is a complex or a form of personality traits around feeling really weird and feeling really unique. So if you're someone who's felt really different um, or you relate to being kind of a weirdo, then you might like some of the things that we're talking about here. We talk a lot about Eros and the different kinds of Eros um, in terms of, you know, there's the romantic, there's the sexual Eros, but there's also just the Eros that permeates the whole universe. So we talk about that. I think you can feel some of the mystic energy in Rebecca as we're talking. And also we talk about some different psychological concepts like how trauma works, um, the shadow, what's called the golden shadow. And Rebecca is also someone who was in the corporate world. She was working in marketing and then she left the corporate world to do her own thing. She's an astrologer. So we talked a little bit about how and why she discovered that that was her path. All in all, and you know, this brings us back to the sun Uranus, it comes down to how can we just be ourselves? So that's, you know, self-actualization in terms of just being who we are, but that's going to apply to our careers as well. So if you're someone who wants that boost or you know that, okay, I got to like go leave my job and do something else, then maybe this episode will be empowering for you. And with that, I'll leave you to our conversation. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for being on the show and thanks for having me at your beautiful apartment. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here, and thank you so much for buying my Taurus heart a brownie. Yes! <laughs> I feel like that's important to mention. I feel already feel so loved up. Yeah, it's like I'm going over to a Taurus's house for the first time. <laughs> I better bring some brownies. <laughs> right, very much appreciated. Awesome. Um, I would love to ask you first, kind of just dive in about what you were like growing up, what you were like as a kid, and what got you into philosophy and astrology? So funny. I feel like it's so rare that people ever kind of ask about where you came from, like where you are now. And I feel like as a kid, I was just like, like many, I think, healers. I was just really sensitive and, um, you know, kind of always getting my feelings hurt and really feminine. I think that's an aspect I'm kind of revisiting about my Taurus self that I kind of pushed away is I mean, I wore dresses every single day for most of my childhood, like by demand. My parents were very much into like non-gendering. Um, I lived for a long part of my childhood in Germany and it was very like non-gender, like we had Legos and I was always the one who like wanted Barbies and dolls. And that's a part I'm trying to kind of reclaim. And I think even my own astrology practice, like how can I really inform myself through these feminine archetypes that have always just kind of like been so much a part of me. That's awesome. And you're ruled by Venus as a yeah. Taurus. Um, and I noticed too, on your website, you talk about like reclaiming what the word witch means. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also feels like a feminine, like integration too. Yeah. I've also been kind of trying to understand which in terms of like Eric Neumann. I mean, we went, we were in the same graduate, graduate program. So I feel like it makes sense to mention this. Um, you know, Eric Neumann has this idea of, the negative transformational figures where it's like these women who transform people and they're afraid of them. 
And that I love his work because it's like, that's what the witch does. Right. And so it's either the old witch or the young witch, the old witch is like the crone, the hag, the one we just kind of like dismiss or has warts, like the fantasy version. And then the young witch is one that's like seductive and dangerous because of that. Right. And so this witch identity feels like there's this big spectrum that like we kind of get to claim anywhere in that. And yeah. I think it's really fun. Yeah. And what's the witch in the middle? That's kind of where I see a lot of women now or in people who don't even identify as women. Right. I mean, that's the beauty of that word is it's not gender identified. I see it as this, this person who like really cares about even getting the choice to be on that spectrum, you know, mm-hmm. like who actually just cares about like, if I had an opportunity to create something and to be around other people who are doing interesting things, it's like the witch to me brews up from that. Right. Mm. That was like a stupid joke. Oh, I said brews up, but you know, yeah, just like, it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that there's this identity of which it is more about like these forms of oppression and political aspects that are to me are more interesting than just these, like where we have been in mythology or this seductress, like those are kind of boring to me now. Mm. yeah and so how did you get led onto the path of philosophy and or was it philosophy first then astrology or how did you tie yeah. them both together yeah sorry it's so weird I feel like you'll understand this as an astrologer sees clients I'm so used to asking other people questions about them I'm like how do, I forgot what it's like to answer questions about myself um yeah. So philosophy. So I was living in Colorado. I actually worked in marketing and PR for like, God, like 10, 12 years. And my undergrad, I was journalism. So I worked for journalists for a little while, TV reporter. Um, and then I worked in marketing and PR, but my minor in undergrad was philosophy. And I just had the biggest crush on my philosophy teacher. I just loved it was more ethical philosophy more logic philosophy but I loved it and I remember him always convincing me like women are better philosophers and he would always use female pronouns in class which was revolutionary this was probably 18 years ago and so the fact that he was doing that was like pretty badass um so I always kind of liked philosophy I liked discovering just really curious and one day I kind of woke up um, at my government job um, as a PR person and was like, okay, I'm leaving. And then I worked as a film publicist. And then I just was like, you know, like all I want to do is just get to use my brain and be kind of a hippie in San Francisco. And so I somehow found a way to move out here, um, started grad school at CIS. Um, I thought astrology was stupid until I came to this program and to San Francisco. So I'm still kind of like, I feel like I'm a little bit new to the astrology. It's only been 10 years, but before that I was like vehemently opposed to it. And so I think I use a lot of that skepticism around astrology in my practice. And I find that helpful. I bet that's helpful. I I never was an astrology skeptic. I've been into it since I was a kid. So I don't have that developed as much about how to talk to skeptics my tactic in a sense is just to become friends with astrology skeptics like just relate <laughs> to them <laughs> and then they're like wow this person I like is into astrology and that like, converts them <laughs> by proxy yeah I don't like 
yeah, try to argue with them about it because I find that the arguments coming from people who are skeptical to astrology, like I wouldn't even understand how to argue back with them because there's like these different premises that we're working from. So being at CIS and the PCC Mm -hmm. program really helped me understand like the arguments basically around astrology a little bit better, which is part of why I came here. But I have noticed that the way that um, Rick Tarnas presents astrology and cosmos and psyche, like that's the book I give to astrology skeptics. Yes. Like when I was younger, I'd be like, don't mess with me. Don't talk to me about astrology, not being real. Like read this book. And then I came to CIS and there's all these really smart people who weren't brought to astrology for any other reason than being in this program. Mm -hmm. And I've loved watching how these really intellectual academic people (laughs) integrate (laughs) astrology yeah yeah it's I remember the first day of that program I tell the story all the time but one of my friends Darren the first day of that program it was in a Joseph Campbell course on the hero's journey and I remember him saying there are two types of people come to this program people who are into astrology and people who will be into astrology and I remember laughing at him and saying like that's so stupid like that's just really not something I'm interested in and it is it's like you start to understand that these it's archetypal in terms of psychology it's not just this woo woo thing there's like history behind it and there's so much more juiciness so yeah I think that book is really great for scout it convinced me (laughs) awesome well I'm really glad um that it did because I love like I was looking at your website and read some of your articles from your time at CIAS Mm -hmm. and saw what you wrote about Uranus and being a sun Uranus person so would you mind telling us what it means to be a sun Uranus person, what that archetypal combination is and how you identify with having that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great topic actually. So sun Uranus, um, I think astrologers say this a lot, right? We're like your sun Uranus type, especially in archetypal astrology. And it's really just, okay, well, the, your sun when you're born is in some sort of angle or important dynamic with Uranus. And this to me was the reason why I didn't like astrology is because people were always I was a Taurus. So they're like, oh, you're so stable and grounded and steady. But my son and my sense of identity is with this planet is the total opposite. So I would read horoscopes and I would just feel like, this is so dumb. Like, I don't resonate with any of this. I have this, like, I get bored easily and I, I don't actually crave stability. And most of my life is spent traveling. And so to me, the sun Uranus adds this dynamism of, um, I crave stability and beautiful things and I'm bored incredibly easily. Uh, I also think of Uranus as this part of me that actually cares more about like the collective experience. Sometimes I think of Taurus can get kind of like vain or like lazy or kind of apathetic to like mission and purpose and larger picture. And for me, having Uranus there really makes me want to care about the collective experience and create experiences that are geared towards the collective. Mm. Um, but it's also the astrologer part of me. It's like, I want to think outside the box. I've always felt like a total weirdo alien wackadoo and Tauruses are kind of like stubborn and whatever. And I just, for the most of my life, just felt like, well, I don't even belong anywhere and I don't even feel human. And that archetype of Uranus is actually like what was like pulling me into my self-expression and I didn't even really realize it. And it wasn't until coming to San Francisco, I was like, oh, I am this like quirky, creative Uranian weirdo. And I'm also this like steady, stable Taurus. And so for me, that archetypal complexity just like gets, gives me so much more self-expression. 
Mm, I love that. Um, What does Uranus like signify in general for people or like if they want to connect to that element in their lives or that archetype, like how would they connect to it? Yeah. So what I recommend to clients is when they have a sun Uranus and the Uranus doesn't feel particularly powerful or they're having a transit of Uranus. Yeah. It's like, how do you come into a relationship with that planet? Um, So I recommend like really honoring the part of you that wants to try new things. And sometimes we think, oh, that has to be going out and traveling and going, I used to think it was, I need to travel and see everything and go really far away. But now it's more subtle. It's like, okay, um, I need to try somewhere I've never been every single week. I need to try either a new path or a new walk or just really keeping things interesting and uniqueness is the key. Mm-hmm. Um, another syndrome I think of with Uranus is like the last unicorn syndrome. So whenever we're thinking like, we're really special. Like no one else has ever had this thought and no one else has ever done this before. That's also Uranus in some way, right? It, it, it wants to like claim uniqueness that is sometimes has that shadow side attached to it. I'm so glad you said that because I get that feeling pretty often. It can be this alienating feeling. Yeah. <clears throat> and I had it all growing up too of like, I can't get too weird or go too far down my path because there won't be anyone there for me when yeah. I'm done becoming as weird as I'm meant to be, you know? <laughs> and it creeps back in, but I've never heard it as a syndrome. So, And I don't know if that's accurate. I think I, I mean, most of my lens is very much the depth psychology. And so I think I'm kind of looking at these complexes, right? And and I see Sun Uranus as like, maybe I just made up the syndrome, right? This complex would be totally made up. I mean, I've just done but that. But it's real. <laughs> but it's super real. And I think the beautiful side is like, there's this sense of like, I'm unique and I'm weird. And that's also really alienating because then we think other people can't possibly relate to that sense of self. And then the other shadow side, I think, is where we think we're so unique and different that we're always saying these new things. But a lot of times people have said them before. Yeah. You know, that's what I love about academia, right? Is I can tell when people don't have a lot of academic background because I think sometimes they don't realize that other people have said those things. Yeah. You know, I have that wake up call just reading philosophy and like his, the history of Western thought. And I would read things and I was like, that was a revelation I had that I thought was kind of my own, but apparently the Greeks already (laughs) thought of it and it was in the morphic field. Like that's why, you know, right. Yeah, I see that as like a real shadow side of, and I have to watch that in myself where I feel like I've become overly concerned about that in some way. And also Uranus to me is like the awkwardness. And I think about awkwardness as more of like self-awareness, where when you become more aware of like your consciousness and yourself as this individual, you become hyper aware of what you're thinking and all the mannerisms you have and what you're doing. And that creates like an awkwardness sense of self. Um, and so that's how I also experience my son Uranus is it's like, I'm almost hyper aware in dynamics of like how weird things are. And I say them to make them even weirder. It's like this strange, like ability to, to understand the nuances of what awkward and weirdness is and like play into them. Well, that's probably a lot of fun too. Like some of the most fun people I know are such weirdos and they're just unabashed about it and they're playful with it. So yeah, yeah, it's true. And I, I do feel like that part of me, like I used to do improv, um, and things like that. Cause that Uranus needed this like weird, quirky sensation. Um, I also recommend when people have a lot of Uranus energy moving through them, um, I have like a list of ideas because Uranus just gives us all this creativity and ideas 
And sometimes it's, it's for the future because Uranus is so concerned with the future. Sometimes I'll, I find ideas I wrote down four years ago that are only now actually make sense to have or to implement. Um, so I think that's what's fun about it. It is this future and it keeps us pulling in evolution and into the what's possible. Um, and so I like that, but it also can make us the shadow side being not present. <laughs> yeah. I love that you have this like toolkit to offer your clients about what to do with your energy. That's so practical <laughs> um, and very inspiring. Thank you. Um, I also really liked what you said about desire on your website. And it was another essay about just what desire is. And um, I guess the impression that's sticking with me is that desire is connected to longing. And so desire can um, basically clue us into what we're missing, what feels unintegrated. Mm-hmm. And part of my spiritual path with astrology has been about like owning desire and being curious about it and desire as a catalyst for evolution. And so I love hearing positive um, thoughts on desire because sometimes people just, the cliche is that desire is the root of suffering, but to look at it as an entryway or a portal into greater psychological integration is really inspiring to read about. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess I would love to hear more about that and maybe how you connect desire to things like the shadow. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it feels really good to get to talk about desire because I think so often it's in the context of the erotic self. And to me, desire is so much more than just eros. You know, it's like the eros of, you know, Brian Swim, of our professors, is like the eros of the entire universe is right. desire to me. Right. It's like without desire, none of this would exist. Right. Like desire was inherent in the creation of the universe. It was like this pull towards what's next, you know? And so the first talk I ever gave it in PCC at Esalen was on desire. And it was just this idea, right? It was like that word for me has just been this thread. And then I ended up writing my thesis on it. And so the word desire comes from a time when people literally believed that the stars were telling them what they wanted. And so I just find that, well, to me, that kind of says it all, right? Like the desire, we think it's ours, but it's like so much more than just our unique soul. It's like the soul and that experience of the cosmos at the same time, right? It's like our personal mm. with the collective. That's where desire to me meets is, is there. Um, that's so beautiful. It's so poetic. And it is like this force that's moving through mm-hmm. the cosmos and we can internalize it as our own, but it can be freeing to realize that there's some kind of telos like moving Definitely. through us. Yeah. And I, I, I think my next kind of phase and what I'm trying to understand around um, my business is like, how do I use this word? Right. And also how do I use it the way that I use it with other people? Because to me, desire, like I, every day it becomes a practice of like, what is this desire? Is this just like, when I want something, where does it situate? Is it that just like my ego is craving something or is this actually like a hit from my soul that I was like whispered to from the cosmos, you know, like that discernment of where the desire is coming from. Yeah. And like, is it like your own desire versus like mm-hmm. a cultural program right. desire, which I feel like Brian Swim breaks down a lot in his teachings he about does. the industrial mind and 
Yeah. It's but, such a beautiful thing to think about. Yeah. Cause I think from the perspective of just like the industrial mindset, desire could be a source of suffering because you're just on this hamster wheel of right. trying to obtain more physical items and status symbols. But if there's some kind of soulful or personal meaning to desire, it's yeah. worth pursuing. So it's totally worth pursuing. I, yeah. I think that is like, it's like false desire, right? Yeah. In some way it's like covering up the actual desire. And I know I'm not the first one to talk about, you know, I was thinking about how like Daniel Laporte has like the desire map and there are these people talking about desire, but I feel like what they keep missing is that there's a cosmic context to desire. You know, and I see that as kind of the piece that I've been trying to integrate for myself too. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, it's compassionate the way you wrote about it, that it's revealing something that's missing. And if we're languaged in archetypal mm-hmm. cosmology and can understand different complexes, then as we feel something's missing and we feel yeah. that yearning, we have like a greater toolkit for figuring out how to engage this missing part of our lives. Right. Um, but how would you kind of guide other people into following their desires or understanding what their desires have to say about them in a more complex way? Cause it's not always just about getting the thing that yeah. is the first image Sometimes it can be about like getting underneath it. So, or would you agree? Yeah, I was. I guess my brain just went to like how interesting we're talking about desire. You know, right? As like Chiron is moving back into Aries, this sign that I think we associate with like passionate desire. Um, but to me, it's like desire is actually beyond any of the archetypes in some way. You know, like it's. Um, it's, it's actually like just the glue of everything. And so it's really hard to figure out where it starts. And I think that's why it's hard to talk about and to discern, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like you have to go both so far in and so far out (laughs) at the same time to figure out what's there. Hmm. Yeah. It requires people taking a little bit of presence with themselves and self-inquiry and that was something I loved about um, your website also is talking about like self-intimacy and getting to know the unconscious. And that really struck a chord with me because I've been practicing astrology for years and reading about psychology, but there's these subtle ways that we can abandon ourselves. And I started to become more aware of that. And it you can project it out like, oh, I feel lonely because no one's here for me during this particular time but am I here for me in these difficult emotions? So I've been kinder to myself lately. And I'm just like, I'll engage the parts of me that I was realizing before I was like suppressing or running away from. And it's always really nice. It feels like I have like a friend or like a partner or something in these moments that I'm just by myself. And so I really resonated with it and thought it was also very Taurian because that is part of the higher purpose of Taurus. And, um, the ways that I've studied it, at least, just that it's about self-love. Um, oh. So that includes the shadow, right? You know, and getting to know these more difficult parts of ourselves, which are not necessarily bad. Often they're, like, really awesome when we integrate mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I love what you mentioned. I see that, too, as, like, a higher aspect of Taurus. Like, this is where I sometimes... So I kind of have made up my own rulership in my head of the signs, and I actually don't associate Libra with Venus, and this is kind of the reason is that to me, Libra is craving, always craving intimacy with another. And as a Taurus, like I actually just want connection. Like I don't necessarily want it one-on-one. 
I want just like the sense of connection. Like I want to look at a plant and know like it loves me. I know that I'm in an intimate relationship with that plant and with myself. And I think about that that is the gift of self, right? Is like not just like cheesy self-love. I think about more of like self-parenting or like reparenting feels like a better yeah. term for that as like the great earth taking care of us through ourselves in some way. Yeah, but how nice to just look at a plant and feel connected to it. Yeah. That's super real, but it's not a very normal way of thinking. Hopefully it's becoming more popular. Mostly <laughs> as that like ecological mindset kind of sets in. And I don't know how much of that is just like me diminishing romantic relationship in some way, but I I think an aspect of appreciating the Taurus is that it is about connection. It's not about romantic connection. It like it's that all relationships are actually fused with the erotic not mm. just romantic partnership yeah it's like a sensuality that is not just restricted to the particular box right. of relationship with another person right right and so I've really come to like then also associate the shadow of like well I'm not really intimate with myself unless I'm like really intimate with like the really not so pretty parts of me and that those parts make it more possible to be in a relationship with other people. Yeah. Does it ever feel like when you confront those things that it just is like resolved in some way? Like, oh, that was good. I'm glad we had that. <laughs> or like, is it really, I guess it is ongoing, but how do you experience um, breakthrough in that realm? Yeah. I mean, I, in a lot of like trauma psychology, they would say that it's like the trauma point or like the major shadow places are kind of this like stick that we orbit around and then we touch it and then it kind of jumps to another stick and then we orbit that stick. So to me, like all of my shadow work is within the same vein, just like very specific, different instances of how it shows up. It's like the multivalence of an archetype, right? Like my shadow has all these different expressions and at any given point, it's like revealing one of them. Yeah. <laughs> it is so nice to have the language and just understand shadow a little bit because I feel like without that and it in its raw form, it could just seem so terrifying or there's the tendency. I feel like especially now with Saturn and Pluto, they're getting so close. They're like yeah. six degrees away. I've really noticed this theme about judgment and the shadow and like unconscious judgment or been my own tendency to like judge my shadow and then because I'm aware of Saturn Pluto happening I'm like oh no I'm not going to go down a shame spiral or judge this but Mm -hmm. try to like engage with it and then it like I think the underworld is full of gems and so this like treasure will come out of it I'm like okay cool that was good and then the same thing happens the next day and it's just like another layer yeah it's like you actually touch the golden shadow Right? Yeah, like that gem. Yeah, <laughs> that oh, is there. And so that's what for the <laughs> listeners, um, you sent out an email to the student listserv on a Sun Pluto conjunction day. I think mm-hmm. obviously in Capricorn because Pluto's in Capricorn about the golden shadow. Yeah, and I think I knew that the Sun and Pluto were conjunct, and so I was like, "Ooh, like I know what she's doing here, and I like, really <laughs> feel this. I know what she's doing." <laughs> And so I read the article um, and I really appreciated it because I'd never heard the term golden shadow. You're like full of really cool language to describe things that I just haven't heard before. Um, But the golden shadow is in like this positive part of our shadow or like the unclaimed gifts that we experience through jealousy, for example, Mm -hmm. as a trigger. 
Um, could you tell us more about what the golden shadow is? Yeah, it's funny because I was when I was writing that article, I was doing research. I was like, okay, where did this term come from? Right, and it's just kind of been sprinkled around depth psychology since Jung. Jung never really officially said it, but people credited him with saying it. So I think it's one of these ideas where we just think of duality, right? Where if there is some aspect that's not so nice, there has to be a nice aspect to it, right? And so that as we're young and we're told like what things are acceptable, what things are not acceptable, that whenever that happens, there's an aspect of us that gets suppressed. And so what gets suppressed is the negative aspect and the positive aspect. And so the, the kind of logic behind the golden shadow is that as you're uncovering your dark shadow, you're also uncovering these pieces of potential that are the gifts that you kind of got rid of at the same time. Um, And so I really associate the golden shadow actually with Chiron because to me, it is these places that are like underworld, darker parts of us that show up and they also end up being like our whole healing capacities. Yes. Um, And so I love to think about in people's charts when I'm looking at them, I'm really looking at, okay, what is their Chiron doing? Like, How can we make sure that this golden shadow is going to get utilized? Otherwise, it's going to become the unconscious thing that's like ruling their whole experience, crashing them down. (laughs) Yeah. And I really like your interpretation of Chiron in that way, because most people, when they hear of Chiron, the first kind of key phrase is the wounded healer. And it's like this wound that leads us into our soul, but we never necessarily heal it, which yeah. is, seems very Sisyphusian. It's so dramatic. Yeah. And like, at the same time, I do, I feel that. Like, yeah. I have Chiron and Leo, and so the golden shadow, I'm like, well, of course. <laughs> you <laughs> get it. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel it, yeah, as this kind of persistent wound, but it doesn't bother me. It's like a, it's a portal, you know, like even I've done, I think we were talking earlier about doing comedy improv. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was in this conversation or before we started recording, but um, doing that is like totally mystical for me. Like being playful, like, and just like laughing and having fun opens up like all this weird contrast because this part of me will come up. That's like, you can't have fun right now. Like stop. And there's this like weird thing. And if I push past that, it's like, I have some kind of psychedelic experience within myself just because I'm having fun. I'm like, what is that? You know? And so like, for me, like, I just think, aren't people just supposed to have fun? Like, why is it just like a crazy psychedelic experience for me? And I've had times where like, I'm so happy that I'm almost like, am I allowed to be this happy? It's like, you know, just really far out. But I guess what I mean to say is I've never really thought of Chiron as uh, a golden shadow. And yet I've, when I've talked to clients about it, it's like, okay, it's this wound, Mm -hmm. but it's also a place in life that if you engage it, you're going to get a bunch of healing gifts and like this deeper potency and meaning in your life. Um, And if you don't engage it, it's still there, but it's just (laughs) like, you know, it's getting like rubbed up against Mm -hmm. and you don't know why, like that's your pain point or why you're getting triggered so hard in that area of life. So Mm -hmm. I liked thinking about um, Chiron that way. So in terms of people, I guess, contacting their golden shadow, yeah. like what, what are the kind of things that awaken that in people? Yeah. So I, you know, it's funny because, um, so I have sun Chiron and so most of my clients also have sun Chiron because like, they know on some level. Oh, that, Chiron and Leo. Sun Chiron. Yeah. Like anyway. on some level, like they really are needing that part of them to kind of get teased out. Um, so I often in, when I'm talking to clients, I, I always 
leave Chiron as kind of like this thing that's like hanging out there until we're like at least halfway through the session. So I can hear like, what are the things they're struggling with? And then Chiron is usually this like bow and thread that ties all the things that aren't working together. <laughs> you know, it's like all the things they're talking about are actually usually relating to the Chiron. Um, and so I usually talk a lot about like different phases of integration of Chiron. And I don't know that it makes sense to go through those phases, but to just mostly name that to me, Chiron, like we talked about, is not going away, right? And so what is this process? I kind of talk about how in the myth of Chiron, I'm like disappointed in him because he isn't willing to stay present with his wound. He would actually rather die. Like it's so painful to him. that He's like, I don't even want to be alive anymore. I want to, you know, like forget being immortal. Like I can't handle this pain. So I like to describe it to my clients as like, actually we're more powerful in Chiron in that way. Because actually this pain is something that we're just going to keep bumping up against. And I don't think that tapping out is necessarily the answer to Chiron, right? Um, and so I talk a lot about like, well, for me, my Chiron healing with the sun Chiron is like, I don't ever feel good enough. I feel like I'm really good at seeing other people's gifts, but I can never see my own. So being an astrologer is an amazing thing to do, right? Because every day, um, well, I don't see clients every day, but the days I do see clients, I'm just getting to remind people of what they're really good at. And so to me, that's the healing of Chiron is when we actually get to like use that pain with other people. So it is the wounded healer, but it's more so that we're showing other people how shiny they are. Yeah. You know, I connected that so much. And even um, a lot of people who are really bright and happy, like at a certain point with the solar archetype or Leo, like you become really generous and you just mm -hmm. like shine light on other people. It's not all about you anymore. Yeah. And, um, so then as someone who like helps lift up other people, it must be nice as well to like get feel paid. That. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I, was, I guess my thought is that I think a lot of Chiron wounding is like, we have to earn value. Mm. We have to like earn our worth in the world. A lot of Chiron is like, you have to like that in the myth, he like tries to become all things to all people. Ooh, that was do like, you have Chiron and Taurus? I do. You? Okay, that makes sense. Um, and so there's like so much around like my femininity and like being a woman and like all of these pieces. And in that myth, I think about how he became all things to all people because he hadn't yet understood that he didn't need to earn his value there. So I usually recommend people who have a strong Chiron. I'm like, don't volunteer your time ever. Like that is an aspect of like playing into that archetype where like you have to earn your value. And I find it even in myself, right? Like with my friends where I'm like, if I do nice things for them, it's this kind of like martyr thing that I think also happens with Chiron sometimes. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Like as a healer, navigating your boundaries mm -hmm. with just like how you freely help people. Completely. I'm curious what some more of your thoughts are on that. Cause I feel like that's something that any healer comes up oh against gosh, because yeah. suddenly, especially like as a new healer, like for me, I've been in business with astrology for a couple of years, but when I first started out, I had tons of people asking me for free help all the time. And I got super boundaried to the point where I was like, not even as helpful to my friends as I could be because I felt burnt out from helping people. Yeah. And now I'm like loosening up that boundary a little bit to be more intuitive about how I help people. So I always love hearing other people's perspectives on like 
the boundaries of being a helper, a healer, if that's what you do for a job? Yeah. You know, I think that's something that we all kind of bump up against all the time because I go in phases where I am really good about setting a boundary and like I end sessions on time and I don't give away a bunch of my time. And then other moments where like I did a, a call a few weeks ago for free that I spent all this time preparing for. And I was like, why did I do that? Like this idea that doing things for free is going to get us leads when actually most of my business comes from word of mouth. So why would that, you know, so I think it is a really tricky dance. I'm still trying to understand in myself. I also recently upped my prices significantly more than I have in the past. And that felt also like this moment of like, these are really special readings to me. Like I, my sessions are really special. Like I need to stop trying to make them feel like people can do them every other month because they're so affordable. And so like, also asking other people to ask for what they need. I think that's the piece with Chiron is like, we're so free in giving things that we don't give people the opportunity to be empowered enough to ask for what they want and their own desire. Right. So I've had to be really clear. Like if you want sliding scale, ask me, right. Instead of automatically being like, I'm sliding scale for everyone, you know, or like, and everyone can have everything for free. Yeah. Trying to find that dance for sure still learning that. (laughs) It's really cool too, that you brought a lot of, um, previous knowledge from like your work before and like Mm -hmm. the corporate world and like, um, marketing to astrology now, because I feel like what a lot of astrologers or healers in general will struggle with is that they, they're so spiritual and sometimes they're like blasted out spiritual and like, that's really awesome too. But the, um, grounded kind of rules or boundaries of how commerce works is a learned skill (laughs) and sometimes in those spiritual frameworks there can be judgments of that world Mm -hmm. too but it's actually just practical and like to marry like practicality with spirituality allows people to actually be an astrologer be a healer for a living so um I just yeah I really like that about you and I'm curious also about how what your journey has been like in terms of bridging these two identities or these skill sets of yours and how you feel your process has been with like coming out in the world, like having your own business or your own practice, because I think that's something that also a lot of people are scared to do, or, you know, it's scary to come out of the spiritual closet and just be like, here I am and here's my website. Right. Um, But you do it so well in such an embodied way. Oh, thank you, Sabrina. That's really like, I just want to receive that because my first inkling is to be like, oh, thanks. But like lots of people do it. Um, thank you. Um, I think this maybe is the aspect of my Taurus that feels really good is that I, you know, I'm a really, oh, we have lots of pigeon visitors that you may not be able to hear on the recording, but. <laughs> and a bird on the bird feeder. Yeah, that's a little bird. I like to pretend I'm Snow White at home. Um, keep the cat entertained with the birds. Um. But my, I think my process is more like I, it took me a long time to like transition to being full time. And I still don't even know that I feel like I live comfortably enough to really confidently say that I do it really well. Um, but for me, it's like, I think it's really important for people to be in those like contained workspaces. Like I worked in an office for like at least 10 years where I went in every day and I sat at a desk because now my freedom is so much more meaningful to me. The fact that I can wake up and do what I want in the morning is still bizarre to me some days. I'm like, oh, I don't have to rush in. And I was a terrible employee. So I think an aspect for me that was just becoming non-negotiable. Like I was just a bad employee to other people. 
I have an Aries moon with Venus, but I don't like when people tell me what to do. Neither does Sun Uranus. Like my chart was just screaming for so long. Like you can't be someone's employee. And so for me, it wasn't even just like coming out of the closet aspect. It was like, I don't have a choice anymore. Like I'm not good at being an employee anymore. I resonate with that so hard. I mean, I'm a sun in Aries and it's square. Oh, but I had such a conflict, um, you know, because growing up, my parents were like, you know, you don't need to get a job while you're in high school. Like, just get good grades and enjoy yourself. And so I worked like at a, like a food place, a sandwich place. And my, my employees, or not my employees, my fellow like coworkers, enjoyed me as a person to some extent but I think they really didn't like me as a worker because I just wasn't I was not a good employee right and yeah when I was 21 I was like how am I going to enter the workforce like I don't want to I just want to be an astrologer and so but yeah I've never every time I've had a job like I feel like an outsider or like Kafka-esque or something like I'm like, I don't belong there and I don't do a good job. So similarly, (laughs) my coming out in the world and being on the internet in the way I am has to do with that same, like, well, I don't have a choice. Like, yeah, it's just what's so, I I was also laughing because I remember the first year I finally was just like, I I have to just be a full-time astrologer. Like I can't work for anyone. I remember in the holiday newsletter that my parents sent out every year, I just remember them kind of like not really understanding what I was doing at all. They were kind of like, we don't really know. Rebecca's doing in San Francisco for a job because they don't know astrology. They don't know that you actually, they don't know what it looks like to be an astrologer. Right. Um, and so I think I still am trying to negotiate in my brain, like the family programming of like, you know, I come from a line of like accountants and dentists and like that stability. And so there is still this like moving towards my own son, Uranus of like, can I, how much unpredictability can I be with before it's really uncomfortable? So it sounds like your approach has been like when there's a will, there's a way, basically. Definitely. Yeah, where there's a will, there's a way. And also, you know, I kind of do have this dream, Sabrina, that I would like someday start like a, you know, I mean, I, I was for a while like offering consultations to help people leave their jobs. I would really love someday to have like an online Chiron school, right? Where it's just like helping healers leave their jobs and like show, like share the, how I did it and like the way that I set up my, you know, my business and how I do my stats and how I do my, like, convert, like sharing this very practical stuff that I did learn in order to be able to do this. And I think I still don't fully know what that would look like. Cause I, I want in my dream world, people don't have to have bosses. Well, um, that'd be awesome if you create that school. <laughs> Definitely will let, um, my blog and podcast know where they can find it. So we all can like kind of, I mean, it's such like an F you to patriarchy, right? Like actually you think I need to be in your structure to make it work. And like, I'm outside of your structure doing just fine. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah. It's an interesting, yeah. Movement. And I, I hear that being talked about in like spiritual communities and even other podcasts about like, you know, leaving your job, like leaving your corporate mm-hmm. job for something more spiritual. Um, and I never was in the corporate world, I guess, but as I was like, okay, I need to be an astrologer. I got really into do like, I had a huge breakthrough with Excel spreadsheets one time. Like they changed my life. It was like, these things are powerful. I'm just going to use them 
for like what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. And so I feel like the, even the archetype of structure and order, you know, yeah. different like Virgo, Saturn stuff, like you mm-hmm. need that to live holistically. So people who are really spiritual, I think there's all these stories around that being on the outside, like mm-hmm. separate from the practical world. And that healers, there's this long lineage of healers just doing that as part of their community and maybe not getting paid for it, but at least having a role in the community and being sustained. Um, And then as time goes on, it being more of this like, well, I just do it for fun or to be nice, but I'm not getting paid for it. And if that's your purpose, you know, like give it all you've got and get paid for it. So you have the power and the earning power to Mm -hmm. keep doing that um, and to work at your craft too. Yeah. And well, I think the other piece of this is that when I do see people who are like helping healers coach their business, oftentimes they actually don't really have a lot of the hard business skills either. I think that's kind of where like my own suspicion has come up of like, you know, making sure that if you are going to be learning about business or becoming a healer, you're taking classes online, like really making sure that they're talking about real marketing conversion funnels and actually talking about what statistics to keep track of and like, you know, the real nuts and bolts, because otherwise it is just like kind of another blind leading the blind thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. And really awesome that you have that synthesis. You were telling me earlier that you're Mercury and Gemini. So I was just picking up on that because Gemini will be able to synthesize like different Mm -hmm. schools of thought, you know, Mm -hmm. and to combine them and see how they can support each other. is awesome. Yeah. I feel like my brain's always kind of like finding the patterns. Like sometimes to a fault where I'm like putting things together that actually don't have any business going together. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some other, I guess, like things you're currently really excited about or wanting to create? Hmm. Um, so I'm really obsessed actually right now with the muses and, um, the asteroid muses, which are those. Um, so there's nine asteroids that are named after the nine muses of ancient Greece. Um, and I'm really interested in like, what is this version of the feminine that is, is this like creative spark, right? It's like this creative, (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) Just a siren. Um, but I'm really interested in the muses, this idea of like, what is a healthy feminine? And to me, they really represent that. They represent these women who are really connected with other women. Um, they, or just community in general, right? They represent both this splash of inspiration while at the same time being like really grounded and earthy. Um, and I think the word muse has become this identity that are given to women to inspire other people. And I like the idea of like each of us having like each of us being our own muse, but also that like just our relationships are muses for like our own beauty and creativity. So I've been looking a lot at my chart and kind of studying what the muse asteroids are doing in my chart and finding that so much of my creativity has been based on like certain muses with my sun or my moon. That is so cool. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of like next, I'm trying to kind of understand like where that even goes. Like I don't even know what to do with that in my astrology practice or in, I thought about maybe just doing kind of like monthly calls to like introduce people to the muses because they're just really fun energies. But yeah, so that's kind of what I'm excited about. I don't know where it's going, what I'm going to do with it, but Sun Uranus got an idea and I'm just following it to see if it goes anywhere. It may not. That sounds awesome. And it, I also feel like if you introduce people to archetypes, like you're creating a gateway for them to actually meet those. It's not like you have to have a certain element in your chart or like have them aspecting something in your chart, Mm -hmm. but you just contact them through the idea realm and like 
they become part of you. Totally. And so I have like kind of these rituals I've been using for like each muse. It's like, let's say I want to connect to a certain music. What is kind of like the calling or invocation? Like what is the process that I welcome them? Just like with the planet, right? Like what is this relationship building? So I feel like I'm right now building relationships with the muses and I don't know what's going to happen. Is there a specific muse that you feel like you could tell us a little bit about? Yeah. So the one that I have been really, I mean, there's so many I feel connected to right now, but, um, I went through this phase where I was writing all this love poem poetry and Arados, the love poet is with my moon. Um, and so I went through this phase where I had this anonymous website where I was just writing love poetry to like everything. It was like a plant, a tree, a planet, a a person, an animal, like anything. Um, and so I felt really connected to, and kind of like then that integrated that desire integrated and now i've become really more connected to cleo like the storyteller the long-form poet the that sort of thing so now i'm kind of just like keeping lots of poetry books by my bed and so yeah that's kind of those are the two right now i've been romancing and i don't know where that's gonna go i love that i love that you're like doing things to actually romance them too that's what i try to um Yes, convey to any student that I work with of like you can commune with the planets. Oh, like you can talk okay. to them, you can like close your eyes and go into like deep meditation and get guidance and like visualizations from them. Like they're these beings. Yeah. You know? So they really are ma- I mean, it's pretty magical when you think about it that way, right? Like you you can have this relationship with the cosmos at any time. Yeah. And I see people doing it with plants. Like herbalists mm. have a very similar relationship to the plant world that I feel like astrologers right? have to the archetypes. It's so true. Oh my god, it's so true. And they are both physical things in space <laughs> at the end of it. So. One's just one's a lot more far away, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to talk a little louder, maybe. Far away, but a lot bigger. So. But a lot bigger, right? Proportionately, it all just goes out in the wash. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I like to think about it. That's a really good point. That feels way more relational. Like bigger, so they, you know, they are closer in some other way, <laughs> gravitationally. I think um, one of the the last things I wanted to ask you is what would you suggest for just people in the collective right now based on some of the energies on the planet? And so I thought of Saturn, Pluto, but if there's any that are particularly speaking to you, these kind of bigger, longer acting transits, um, what advice would you just have to individuals of the collective right now with processing what's currently going on? Yeah, you know, I... The thing that always comes to mind is I think about um, like actually knowing your own chart better before you can really look at what's happening collectively. It's like the first layer of knowing yourself and intimacy has to be there before you can really understand how those, the transits may impact you. So I always encourage people that if you hear a lot about a big transit coming up to actually pay attention to those planets in your own chart and like really explore them there and then kind of open up to what's happening in the collective mm. um, because this is where like knowing your intimacy with yourself is so important because sometimes I have people who are freaking out about Mercury retrograde or freaking out about a certain planetary combination, but they have it natally. So they kind of already have a relationship to it. Yeah. Right? I always get clients who have dynamics in their chart that are the same as what's happening in the sky at the moment right. they come to me. It's like, people, I wonder if we feel more alive when the sky is veering us in some way. Like, well, that's what I tell clients is that like, I don't pay attention to any transits like daily unless I have, I have Venus Saturn 
So that's happening in the sky. So that's where I'm... That's today. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm paying attention to, right? But like when Mercury is with um, Venus, I'm not paying attention to that transit because it's not in my chart. So that's where to me, like, I think it's really important to really just pay attention to what you have in your chart before you can add on the layer of the collective experience. Yeah, I definitely, I have like a wish for humanity of like mass astrological literacy. Mm -hmm. I just think it'd be amazing. Like it's such an amazing resource. I didn't know you also had Venus Saturn. I have it like by minor aspect, but they're, they're conjunct today. And so it was perfect that we would be trying to bring beauty to wisdom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like, uh, grounding it by recording it too. <laughs> make it physical. Make it physical. The connect. Make a physical connection. And we are in real life, which is great because I do feel like so often the recordings happen online, and it just has such a different feel. Totally. It's been really nice to be in your apartment too. Oh, it's nice it's to have you. I'm, I'm obsessed. That's with my apartment. So, you know, anytime someone compliments compliments it, I'm very excited. I rearrange it constantly. It's like a, you know, when something's happening internally, then something else has to shift. So I kind of feel like it's, I'm always in such a relationship with it that when someone likes me, I'm like, oh, that means you like like me because you like. Well, that's awesome that your environment is an extension of you that way that you're connected to it. That's super Taurus as well. Mm -hmm. Being connected to the environment, cancer rising, home. Um, yeah, yeah, moon, Venus, conduct at my midheaven. It's just lots of moon. You just gotta watery. go. <laughs> lots of moon, watery stuff. Like, no wonder I'm obsessed with being here. Right. It's nice to have you here, Kitty. Obviously, at least she came and said hi before she took her nap. Yeah, she's just supporting us <laughs> energetically, holding space. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Serena. It's so sweet to just like get to talk to another astrologer and you know, an astrologer like who I really respect and like appreciate your voice and um it's nice to get to share that in real life. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <sighs> it's so nice to talk with a Venusian Taurus being ruled by Venus and You know, this came up in the episode and just from Rebecca's insights about intimacy with the self, but I've noticed that Taurus sun people can often teach me things about how to have a better relationship to myself. And one of the ways that the Taurus archetype can do this is through our relationship to beauty and to the senses and to this connection, this all-encompassing connection that Rebecca was talking about, like being able to connect to plants, you know, feeling connected to our environment. It's interesting too, you can see often in synastry that Taurus and Cancer suns really like each other. And she is a Taurus sun with a Cancer rising. And so I felt just her energy in her home and her energy in herself and her wisdom that she shares on this episode and also on her website comes down to this, like how do we embody and inhabit ourselves and feel pleasure just in being who we are and in connecting to the world around us. So this wasn't mentioned on the show, so I just want to make sure that you have a way to go find her work if you want to see more of what she's up to and learn more from her. Her website is wildwitchwest.com and her Instagram handle is wildwitchofthewest. And she has a great Instagram. She has a great website. Like I said, there were all these articles from her time in grad school. Go follow her and let us know what you think about this episode and what your takeaways were. 
you know, feel free to make an Instagram story about this episode and tag us. I know that we would both love to hear from you. And thank you so much for listening to this. And I hope you have a lovely rest of your day.